Good morning, and welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. We gather as a diverse and inclusive spiritual community that seeks to inspire love, work for justice, and grow in community. Whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you. Whomever you love, we welcome you. May this be a place where you can be your fullest and most authentic self. You may have heard me mention before that I grew up in a prejudiced environment. My father could truly make Archie Bunker or Ann Coulter look liberal. No group escaped his disdain. He had nothing good to say about different groups in our city. And in his words, that started with the Canucks in the North End, the Negroes of the South End, or the Portuguese, Portuguese immigrants from the Azores who lived pretty much everywhere else. He also very specifically singled out the quote-unquote, rich Jews who lived near our city's hospital. If you were white, of German or Irish stock, read Northern European, and Catholic, you were okay in his eyes. Early on, I didn't have a good feeling about this separate otherness. As a child and a teen, my refuge was books. I read a lot. And his views did not resonate with the world that was opening up to me through reading and firsthand experience at school. One of the things that really bothered me were comments about Jews, money, their professional status, and their religion. The more I read, the worse I felt about the persecution of Jews over the millennia. I felt sadness, sympathy, compassion. I still do. There is a calling, a a tugging at my heart for a better understanding of my feelings. We say ours is a faith rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition. What does that really mean? And what is it that we as Unitarian Universalists know about Judaism? How does it intersect with our faith? I hope to discover some answers to these questions as I've enrolled in an introduction to Judaism class at Temple Israel, a reform congregation in Akron. I have already been asked if I plan to convert and I have no idea. One Sunday every month from September through April, I'll be at the synagogue exploring all these questions that are roaming my mind and my heart. Perhaps, In this time of education and discernment, I may finally come to an inner peace and a place of forgiveness for my father's narrow views. Come.
Let us worship together. Sunday during our service, we set aside time to widen the caring ministry of this congregation, to honor those who have died, to celebrate with those who are joyous, and to call into this community of care those who need our love and support. Let us hold in our hearts this week all Jewish people across the globe who will be entering the most solemn days of their religious year. And I invite you now to speak aloud the names of your beloved who need the love and support of this church. For all the names spoken aloud and those we hold in the silent sanctuary of our hearts, let us give our grateful thanks. Will you please join me now in the spirit of prayer or meditation, as is your practice. We pray that we might know before whom we stand, the power whose gift is life who quickens those who have forgotten how to live. We pray for the winds to disperse the choking air of sadness, for cleansing rains to make parched hopes flower, and to give all of us the strength to rise up toward the sun. We pray for love to encompass us for no other reason save that we are human for love through which we may also all blossom into persons who have gained power over their own lives. We pray to stand upright, we fallen, to be healed, we sufferers. We pray to break the bonds that keep us from the world of beauty. We pray for opened eyes, we who are blind to our own authentic selves. We pray that we might walk in the garden of a purposeful life, our own powers in touch with the power of the world. Praised be the God whose gift is life, whose cleansing reigns let parched men and women and humans flower toward the sun. May it be so, and amen.
first reading. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, the legend goes, told his Hasidim a story about a king and his son who were always quarreling. Each time the prince would say or do something offensive or outrageous, each time the king, furious, would banish the boy from the palace. And each time the prince would return, apologize to his father, and take his rightful place at the king's side. One day, incensed by his son's impudent behavior, the king summoned his most trusted advisor and gave him a stern order. I've just banished the prince from the palace again, the king said, and you are commanded never to let him back in, no matter how strongly he pleads with you. The advisor nodded his head, and the very next morning, the prince as usual, came back and begged for forgiveness. The advisor, fearing for his life, told the prince he wasn't allowed back in. And the prince walked away dejected. He returned the next day, again begging to see his father. And again, the advisor had no choice but to turn him away. With each new day, the advisor's heart grew heavy. He knew that disobeying the king may have grave consequences, but he could not stand to be the one standing in the way between a father and his son. Finally, unable to take it any longer, he went to see the king and kneeling before the throne and trembling, begged the monarch to forgive the prince. Seeing the force of the advisor's emotion, the king immediately consented and never quarreled with his son again. We are all, Rabbi Nachman added, like that advisor. We all stand between the king of kings, God Almighty, and the world, and we must all, against all odds, do whatever we can to bring the two together in peace. We stood in reverence of the Torah as if she were a trusted friend. We gazed at her with loving eyes as if she were a long lost lover. We extended kisses to her as if she were our only true love. As long as there is Torah, we shall find our path to being holy. We found safety in one another's arms, a space to cry tears of mourning as our singing returned them to tears of joy and we found the strength to forgive those who had done us harm. We touched the brokenness of our hearts and then sang them back together again. As long as there is kindness, we shall heal one another. As long as there is community, we shall walk this path 
to being holy. As long as there is poetry, there will be hope. As long as there is song, there will be joy. As long as there is prayer, there will be catharsis. As long as there is community, we shall stand together in awe. As long as there are these things, the world shall keep on turning, and so shall all of us. Yom Kippur, which begins at sundown this coming Tuesday, is the most important of the high holy days on the Jewish calendar. The 10 days starting with Rosh Hashanah and ending with Yom Kippur are commonly known as the days of awe or the days of repentance. This is a time for serious introspection, a time to consider the sins of the previous year and repent before Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, celebrated this year from September 29th to October 1st, God inscribes our names in the Book of Life, writing down who will live and who will die, who will have a good life and who will have a bad life for the next year. Our actions during the days of awe can alter God's decree. The actions that change the decree are repentance, prayer, and good deeds. The Book of Life is then sealed on Yom Kippur. This concept of writing our life in books is the source of the common greetings during this time. Forgive my Hebrew pronunciation. Lashana Tova Tikatevu is May You Be Written for a Good Year. And Hamas Hatima Tova, May You Be Sealed in the Book of Life. Among the customs of this time, it is common to seek reconciliation with people you may have wronged during the year. Yom Kippur is the moment in Jewish time when we dedicate our mind, body, and soul to reconciliation with God, our fellow human beings, and ourselves. We are commanded to turn to those whom we have wronged first, acknowledging our sins and the pain we might have caused. At the same time, we must be willing to forgive and let go of certain offenses and the feelings of resentment they provoke in us. On this journey, we are both seekers and givers of pardon. Only then can we turn to God and ask for forgiveness with the common refrain, and for all these, God of forgiveness, forgive us, pardon us, and grant us atonement. I came to Unitarian Universalism as one of the many religiously wounded who seek a different kind of faith community. During my first few years as a UU, I was very uncomfortable with religious language, especially words like God, sin, salvation, and the like. I could never wrap my mind around the concept of sin, even as a small child, or maybe especially as a small child. When I was preparing to make my first communion at St. Patrick's Catholic Church here in Kent, we had to learn how to go to confession. Just the thought of going into that dark, spooky box terrified me, 
let alone confessing my sins to the priest on the other side. Even then, I couldn't imagine what sin an eight-year-old could possibly have committed that God would even notice. But I could recognize sins of adults. Like Elaine's experience, my father was also very anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic. I heard every slur against Jews that you could imagine, and then some. Jews were greedy, dirty, dishonest cheaters who would take you for all that you've got. Jews owned everything and it just wasn't fair. On and on and on. Why though? The Jewish people I met in my limited experience were kind and friendly. I never got a clear answer to the why because I now suspect there really wasn't one. Despite all of this, I was always drawn to the mystery and beauty of Judaism. I was and am still fascinated by it. Perhaps my love of this culture and religion was a rebellion against my father, but perhaps it was more than that. Recently, I took an ancestry DNA test, which showed that I am 6% European Jewish on my father's side. You can imagine the joy I had in sharing that information with him. As an adult who has gone through many years of therapy, I now realize that his sins are not my sins and he will have to live with them. This perspective has allowed me to forgive him, but I now speak up when he crosses the line. Many years ago, our former minister, the Reverend Melissa Carvel-Zemer, offered a question box service in which congregants asked questions about religious topics, and Reverend Melissa answered them on the spot without any advanced preparation. One of the questions was, how do you define sin? Her answer was immediate, short, and succinct. Sin, she said, is simply missing the mark. With six simple words, Reverend Melissa completely redefined a concept I had struggled with my entire life. It made perfect sense. Sin did not have to be this huge, terrifying concept for which I needed a priest's mediation or even God's forgiveness. It only meant that I had missed the mark, that I didn't do my best, that I had amends to make or obligations to fulfill. This was the definition of sin that I could live with. Not surprisingly, another religious concept I had trouble with was repentance and atonement. I greatly dislike the word, the word repentance even now. Atonement is less harsh, but still carries with it the sting of punishment from an angry God. Many Jewish scholars agree. There are many passages in the Old Testament that speak of a vengeful, violent, punishing God who forces humanity to atone for their sins by raining death and destruction down on those who disobey him. And very often these same passages are immediately followed by ones that show a kind, loving, benevolent God who loves humanity dearly. Rabbi Brant Rosen says this about the contradiction. It occurs almost on a weekly basis at our Torah study. 
Out of nowhere, God will act like an abusive parent or a jealous crusher of other gods or as angrily punishing authority figure. And inevitably, our discussion flies off in a very familiar direction. This is my most sacred of texts. This is the God Jews are being asked to worship. This is the God I'm supposed to teach to my children. It is often more confusing because there are also times in the Torah where God appears as the epitome of tolerance and compassion. The God that liberates the enslaved, who cares for the sick, who shows kindness and loyalty throughout the generations. This God usually prompts far less discussion, except perhaps for the comment that we wish God could always appear this way in the Torah. So which God is the real God? The punishing authority figure or the unconditionally loving parent? The angry warrior who demands that we crush the inhabitants of Canaan or the compassionate exemplar who commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves? Indeed, which God is the true God? Perhaps the answer is not this God or that God, but both. Perhaps we are looking at it the wrong way. What if God is a continuum, much like humanity itself? What if these differing personalities of God are more of a reflection of our own struggles to be our best selves? In this way, God serves as a reminder of how to be in right relationship with those around us by showing us the effects of anger and vengeance. In his book, Cultivating Empathy, Nathan Walker struggles with this same theological problem. He suggests we need to view atonement as at-one-ment instead. He posits a theory in which God is a lowercase, egoless God who does not seek to be obeyed, nor who is bound to human desires. In this sense, an egoless God does not use suffering as punishment, but rather as a signal that another is in pain. The goal, Walker says, is to be at one with all who suffer. It is that simple. Another person's pain is enough for me to imagine myself as them and hopefully help relieve their suffering. A theology of at-one-ment views suffering not as punishment, but as a human reality. How do we achieve at one how do we achieve at one minute then? I am reminded of a story. Perhaps you've heard it. Once upon a time, a young boy received a beautiful drum as a gift. When his best friend saw it, he asked if he could play with it, but the boy felt torn. He didn't want to share his new present, so he angrily told his friend, no. His friend ran away and the boy sat down on a rock by a stream to contemplate his dilemma. He hated the fact that he had hurt his friend's feelings, but the drum was just too precious to share. In his quandary, he went to his grandfather for advice. The elder listened quietly and then replied, I often feel as though there are two wolves fighting inside me. One is mean and greedy and full of arrogance and pride but the other is peaceful and generous. All the time they are struggling, and you, my boy, have those same two wolves inside of you. 
Which one will win? asked the boy. The elder smiled and said, The one you feed. Let us always remember to feed the spirit of kindness, compassion, and peace. Let us forgive ourselves when we miss the mark, and let us forgive others as well. Let us be the ones to reach out over the divide. Let us be the ones who always, always choose love. May it be so. Will you please remain seated and turn to page 1037 in our teal hymnal. voice would have made a difference. We forgive For each time our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible. we have struck out in anger without just cause. For each time that our greed has blinded us to the needs of others. For the selfishness that set us apart and alone. For falling short of the admonitions of the Spirit. For losing sight of our unity. For those, and for so many acts, both evident and subtle, which have fueled the illusion of separateness. For our ritual this morning, I invite you to come forward and take a stone out of the basket for things you need to be forgiven for or things you need to forgive others for. Put it in the bowl 
and leave it there. If you're not ready, take it with you and release it into the world when you are. With this sacred water, let us wash away the pain and sadness and accept joy and hope once again. Our words and our deeds have great impact. We are all together here in a place of love to share that love with the world. As the ushers come forward to collect the offering, please be sure that you take the love in this place and the forgiveness you have found out into a hurting world that desperately needs it. The offering will now be received. Oriavo shalom alenu, Oriavo shalom alenu, ve alcula. Oriavo shalom alenu, Oriavo shalom alenu, Oriavo shalom alenu, ve alcula. Salam alenu. Salam, salam. Salam, alenu ve alkoholam. Salam, salam. Still peace will come upon us. Still peace will come upon us, still peace will come upon us, everyone. Still peace will come upon us, still peace will come upon us, still peace will come upon us, Shalom Alenu, Oriavo Shalom Alenu, Oriavo Shalom Alenu, Veakula. O source of peace, let us to peace, lead us to peace, a peace profound and true. Lead us to a healing to mastery of all that drives us to war within ourselves and with others. May our deeds inscribe us in the book of life and blessing, righteousness, and peace. O source of peace, bless us with peace. May you go in love. Blessed be and amen.